Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Grace Assembly's Weekend Sermon. We are currently on our Easter series, True or False, Real or Fake. The sermon title this week, False Confessions. Be blessed as you hear God's Word. Good morning, church. Good morning. So good to see you. For those of you who are online, welcome. I'm so happy that you have decided to join us this morning. I just want to tell you whether you are attending online or whether you are attending on-site, attending the 9 a.m. service is the best thing that you can do in Grace Assembly. Worship team, oh, they've disappeared. But I just want to tell you that was the best worship set we've ever experienced. And Pastor Victor, that speaker's introduction, that was the best introduction I've ever heard. Ever. Church, I want you to know that this sermon I'm going to preach will be the best sermon I've ever preached. I think some of you here can see what I am doing. Such superlatives, they are meaningless. They are insincere. And sometimes they are even low-key offensive. False confessions can feel like flat-out lies, even if a person has good intentions for saying it. But here's the thing, church. All of us are used to hearing false confessions daily, regularly. Let's take a look at what we see in the news media, right? People are spreading misinformation about COVID-19 to cause confusion among people. Maybe you've heard of the Spotify saga. Or maybe people, national leaders, they are faking achievements to project a false sense of superiority and power. And maybe you've seen the North Korean leader coming out with a Top Gun treatment. You've seen that video. And maybe for some of us here, you've also heard where people are making false claims to discredit hospitals and healthcare workers. Now church, all of them have their own agendas for making these false confessions. And some of them may even feel that their false confessions are right in their own eyes. In the Bible, the Apostle Luke recorded some false confessions. It was made by one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples when Jesus was having the Passover meal with his disciples. And so today, we are examining the life of Peter again in our build-up to Good Friday and Easter where we will uncover the truth in an era of fake news. Like many of you, I'm praying that my neighbours and my friends will accept my invitation for both the main service and the children's program. Now, they won't tune into this, but my tactic is to get my children to ask their children who will then ask their parents to bring them to church. That's the tactic that I have, and I pray that I will see them in church this coming Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We all know someone who needs to hear what Good Friday and Easter are about. So church, would you invite a pre-believer for next weekend? Last weekend, Pastor Wilson helped us to see through Peter's fuzzy perceptions. Today, I'll take us through Peter's false confessions. Our big idea then is to live out kingdom convictions under life's pressures. How to live out kingdom convictions under life's pressures. 
Firstly, to live out kingdom conviction under life's pressures, we must stay humble for we will inevitably falter. Stay humble for we will inevitably falter. Now, due to the innate sin in everyone, we face people with selfish agendas. And we face people who we have to deal with who will hurt us out of their own insecurities. Hurt people, hurt people. In Luke 22, Jesus foreknew that Judas would betray him. He foreknew that Peter would deny him. He foreknew that his disciples would desert him. But we may not perceive that there was also a battle taking place in the unseen realm. When we see how this scene was set up in Luke 22 verse 3, where Satan entered into Judas, we will realize that this entire upper room experience was actually a cosmic confrontation between Jesus and Satan. Now you see, at the end of the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 verse 13, Jesus overcame Satan. And Satan left Jesus, but only until an opportune time, until the next opportunity. Now that opportunity has come. This is the opportunity where Satan returned and entered Judas, who then plotted with the religious and military leaders on how to betray Jesus. The previous time Satan appeared was to tempt only Jesus. And now Satan had reappeared to tempt Jesus' disciples. So observe how Jesus addressed Peter in Luke 22, verse 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, (laughs) I am ready to go with you to both prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. The irony here is that Peter thought Judas was the one who faltered. And this is revealed to us in John's retelling of this account. But at this point in time, I don't think Peter would ever think that as the one who proclaimed Jesus as God's chosen one, the one who says Jesus is the Christ. Over in this scene, he will fail just as miserably as well. Now, the expression, sift you like wheat, only appears in Luke. It describes a familiar activity to all of them. It's a farming activity where you separate grain from chaff. Okay, now we, we don't really do this in Singapore, but some of you here, if you've ever prepared Indomie at home and you want to sieve the water out using the kitchen sieve, it's the same action, okay? You sieve it out so that it's dry. And so this is actually warfare language. It's warfare language because it's essentially saying Satan is seeking to shake all of you violently like a sieve, right? Shake all of you violently like how wheat is sifted and bounced around to cause all of you to fall. All of you are about to go through an ordeal. Peter's faith would soon be tested by panic and stress as his association with Jesus would be about to be exposed under pressure. Then Jesus speaks to Peter directly. You know, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The failure over here 
that Jesus is referring to, it doesn't mean a complete failure because Peter's faith was restored when he went on to profess Christ boldly. After all, Peter was one of the key leaders in the early church. And I believe that this restoration of his faith was the result of the Holy Spirit's work in Peter's life. So when Jesus said, turn again, what Jesus meant was that when Peter had repented. So I submit to you that repentance has three actions. The first action normally is when you stop in your sin. You stop in your sin, you realize that you're in sin and you stop doing whatever that you're doing. The second step is to actually turn around in the opposite direction of the sin that you're committing. You turn around and you hopefully turn around to God, right? And then the final action is to return to God by walking toward Him. Now you see, if you just stop in your sin, you don't turn around, you may go back to your sin. If you stop in your sin and you turn around, you may not be turning around in the right direction. Now if you just turn around and you don't walk towards God, sooner or later you will make a U-turn and you will go back to your sin. So repentance is turning again. And so then this is what what happens, right? When in Luke chapter 22 verse 33, it records one of Peter's alleged false confession. Maybe all of us will be like, yeah, that sounds like a false confession. It says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now Jesus, he saw past that. And in his point blank reply, he said to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Imagine if you were Peter. You're really close to Jesus. You're one of his closest friends. That reply from Jesus to Peter, it must have sent shockwaves into his system. So don't miss this. Jesus said, and when, not if, and when you have turned again. Now this is significant because Luke here who recorded this whole story, Luke is telling us that One can even repent from denying Christ. One can even repent from denying Christ. The difference is that Peter did repent. He turned around, he he, he stopped in his sin, he turned around, he walked towards God, but Judas didn't. Peter repented, but Judas didn't. Judas did not turn back. So Gratians, like Peter, if you are caught in sin right now, would you stop in your sin? Would you turn around in the opposite direction and would you start walking towards God? You know, sometimes when we are under pressure and maybe sometimes when we are too eager, we are over-eager, we make pledges of believing loyalty to Jesus. And sometimes these pledges may sound like false confessions and may even sound like flippant professions of faith. Maybe some of you here, you know of someone who have said, Jesus, I'll never deny you even if my friends mock my faith. Maybe you know of uh, your, your own child or your nephew or niece somewhere and they have said, Jesus, I'll glorify you in school by studying hard and doing well. For those of you who have started work a long time ago, maybe you've, you, you just got back on income or you've received a big pile of income 
and you say, Jesus, I'll tithe and give generously when work comes. For the parents here, maybe you'll say, Jesus, I'll raise my children in God's ways. For the evangelists among us, you'll say, Jesus, I'll constantly talk about my faith to relatives and friends. And maybe, yet some of us, some of us would say, Jesus, I will serve you full time when I'm 25. Then you renew it. When I'm 30, then life gets older. When I'm 40, Lord, I will serve you when I'm 50. Now, clearly, I am describing Christians from other churches. Now, you know why these false confessions won't impress Jesus? Because he knows that we will mess up. He knows it. He knows that life's pressures will get to us. He knows that human opposition will cause us to crumble. So church, before you and I utter another false confession, I submit, I submit to all of us to stay humble because like Peter, you and I, we will inevitably falter. So unsurprisingly, this incident taught Peter a huge lesson on humility. Maybe, maybe that's why Peter has said in his own writing, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So therefore, let's stay humble so that we can quickly turn back to God in repentance instead of resisting God. Your faith might falter, but it won't be destroyed. And when you turn back to Jesus, He renews your faith and He uses you to strengthen others. So church, if you desire to live out kingdom convictions, stay humble and quickly return to God when you inevitably falter under life's pressures. Secondly, if we want to live out kingdom convictions under life pressures, we must surrender ourselves daily to His Lordship. We must surrender ourselves daily to His Lordship. We already know that Peter would betray Jesus because Jesus foretold that. So let's find out how Peter betrayed Jesus, okay, how he denied Jesus. Luke chapter 22, verse 54 to 62. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing, that, seeing him as he sat in the night light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an interval of an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with you, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And, turned, and then the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept 
bitterly. Now you see, Peter, he actually showed initial signs of courage. He followed at a distance in the dead of night and he even sat down with the people who captured Jesus. But at the most pivotal moment, his courage failed him because his own safety and personal well-being were being threatened. Church, sometimes yielding to temptation isn't just about doing the wrong thing, but it is also about not doing the right thing. I say that again. Yielding to temptations isn't just about doing the wrong thing, but it's also about not doing the right thing. Woman, I do not know him. Of course you do. Man, I am not one of Jesus' followers. Of course you are. Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Of course you do, Peter. At this point in time, you can hear the sound effects of a biblical rooster crowing. That's how Peter sinned. Three times, he could have just acknowledged Jesus, but he didn't. Instead, he yielded to temptation and succumbed under pressure. He caved into life's pressure and he crumbled big time. Peter gave in to his own fears, his own insecurities, his weaknesses, instead of surrendering himself to the Lordship of Christ. Peter was frightened and he didn't live up to what he had boldly promised. He was afraid to be arrested and surely he wasn't going to die for Jesus at that point in time. So if I was a cameraman back then, capturing this whole scene, I would zoom in right now into Jesus' face. Maybe, maybe he looks something like that. And maybe we can see Jesus turning towards Peter with his eyes staring straight into Peter's soul. Peter looked at his dear friend whom he had loved and had taught him for three years, journeyed together for three years. But yet, he couldn't even abide by Jesus for a mere 12 hours. Peter, he had an existential crisis. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Those words reverberated through his heart. He had felt miserably as a disciple and as a friend. So let's pause here because tragedy is usually where we think the story ends. But maybe we can re-examine this narrative through new lenses. Yes, Peter denied Jesus three times and he discarded his reputation within hours. Yes, Peter saw Jesus' face and he remembered Jesus' prediction. But maybe, maybe, maybe Peter also remembered these life-giving words as well. A long time ago, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Maybe Peter remembered, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And maybe Peter remembered, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So instead of seeing anger and disappointment on Jesus' face, maybe Peter saw grace. He saw love and he saw forgiveness instead. And maybe it was this, 
This love and grace and forgiveness direct Peter more than the guilt, the shame and the embarrassment as Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter gave in to the temptation of taking the easy way out instead of acknowledging his relationship with Jesus. Gracious, do you and I sometimes take the easy way out as well? Peter turned in the opposite direction and he knew that his false confessions had brought him nowhere. He knew that he couldn't depend on himself anymore. Gracious, when you sin and you have come to the end of the rope, where do you turn to? Hence, I reckon that this was Peter's turning point. This was the point he stopped in his sin. This was the moment he surrendered to Jesus and stopped yielding to temptation. This was when Peter genuinely submitted again to the Lordship of Christ. Gracious, today could be the moment you surrender to Jesus again. Peter's bitter weeps and violent wails were like the ordeals that Jesus said he would have to endure in being sifted like wheat. This heart-rending moment, it marked the beginning of Peter's walking in the right direction towards God. Jesus was praying for Peter even when Peter was denying him. I say that again, Jesus was praying for Peter even while Peter was denying him. Gracious, Jesus is praying for you and for me even when we have denied him. Jesus' grace and forgiveness compelled Peter to repent and surrender. These tears that Peter cried, they weren't of guilt and shame, but they were of contrition and conviction. Peter's experience in these hours, they marked the beginning of his transformation. From this humiliating experience, Peter learned what surrendering to Jesus meant because it would later help him when he led the early church. We need to be aware of our own breaking points and not be overconfident or self-sufficient. Even when you fail Jesus, you must remember that Christ can still use you so long as you acknowledge your failure. So long as you repent, Christ can still use you. So church, where are you now in your walk with God? Are you willing to walk with Jesus daily? Will you acknowledge Jesus daily? Will you surrender to the Lordship of Christ every single day? Maybe some of you here, you are in a work environment that champions values that are contrary to God's word. Maybe you are in a non-Singapore enterprise, non-Singapore corporation, and they champion values from the West that are contrary to biblical values. Will you stand up for what you believe in or will you stay silent? Maybe some of you here, you are among friends who encourage you to live out ungodly values. Would you stand up to them or would you stay silent? And maybe for some of you here, you fear being cancelled if you stand up for what is right. It's a legitimate fear. 
But would you then surrender to Christ daily and ask Him to give you strength to stand up for what is right in God's eyes? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, So have no fear of people, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 32, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Will you be faithful to Jesus in the face of human opposition? Will you stand firm in the face of human persecution? Will you live out kingdom convictions under life's pressures? So friends, let's surrender ourselves daily to Jesus, who is graciously stretching out His redemptive hand toward you and me when we fall. We should live out kingdom convictions under life's pressures so that we can stay humble when we falter. And we should surrender ourselves daily to the Lordship of Christ if we want to stay faithful against human opposition and persecution. But let me offer one more suggestion, one more conviction. To live out kingdom convictions under pressure, we must stay the course despite our shortcomings. We must stay the course despite our shortcomings. Let's fast forward to after Jesus had risen. Peter had turned back now and he found his resolve to truly live for Jesus. Luke chapter 24 verse 12, it records this. It records, his, it records Peter's reaction upon hearing that Jesus had risen. But Peter rose and ran to the grave, stooping in and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Now, while the rest of the disciples struggled to believe what Mary and the other women had told them about the empty tomb, Peter rushed to the grave to see it for himself. And then he went home amazed at what he saw. Now, imagine the internal conversations he must have had with himself. Everything that Jesus said he would do he did it. Everything that Jesus said would come to pass came to pass. Wow. Jesus is really the real deal. Peter knew there and then, maybe, that he didn't repent and surrender himself to Jesus in vain. Church, who Jesus is to you depends on what the resurrection means to you. Who Jesus is to you is defined by your personal encounter with Him. For Peter, the resurrection meant everything to him. Because of his previous denials, because of what he has said, the resurrection meant everything to him. The resurrection means everything to us because it tells us that we worship not a historical God, not just a historical God in history, but we worship a God in the present for He has risen and He is in the future with us as well, church. The resurrection means everything to Christians. And who Jesus is to you is also defined by your personal encounter with Him. And some of you here, you'll be wondering, 
I want to have the encounter with Him and I can just tell you that every single time you go into God's Word, every single time you come in for a, for a service like this, every time there's an altar call, that's a potential encounter that you can have with the Lord. It can happen anytime, anywhere. And that also does influence how you think about Jesus. What's your response then? Jesus committed Himself, Peter committed Himself to Jesus and he devoted the rest of his life to serve his risen Savior. What about you? Peter stayed the cause despite his shortcomings. He has this newfound relationship with Jesus now. And so he stayed the cause and it went beyond his false confessions uttered under no pressure and his three denials under pressure. You know, I learned these three lessons when I was studying part-time for my Master of Divinity at Singapore Bible College while I was working full-time in Grace Assembly. You see, I could only study after putting the kids to bed or before they woke up. My kids were a lot younger then and so I found it really challenging to juggle all of this together. I recall countless late nights and early mornings. In fact, it's very faint in my memory uh, that I recall any kind of sunlight whenever I was working on my readings or my assignments. It was always pitch black. But in my eagerness, in my enthusiasm, I told the Lord, Lord, I will do my best to glorify you in Bible school. This is Bible school. This is God's word, no less. I will do my best to glorify you. Lord, I will do my best to be an example to my next-gen leaders who are also students themselves. By God's grace, I did enjoy a good start. I was motivated to excel and my efforts, they were reflected with good grades. But all it took was my first C for me to see, see through my false confessions. My commitment to glorify God in Bible college, it diluted into a pathetic, a range of pathetic self-justifications for mediocre effort. I became really good at coming up with all kinds of <laughs> theological reasonings and making excuses for modules I wasn't motivated for. I told myself, I can cut myself some slack. I'll come up with real theologically profound statements like, I can't see this relevancy to practical ministry. <laughs> my true priorities are my wife and my two kids. I would say stuff like, the textbooks, they are outdated. My lecturer, he's always mumbling, cannot understand. And I'll say to myself, this is a super big period in Grace Assembly. Of course, I have to focus on Grace Assembly. That's why the C grade comes. I began to falter. Not just in my grades, but more worryingly so in my attitude. In my attitude. Something wasn't right. And I had so much pride in admitting that I had messed up. I had so much pride that I struggled to repent from this ungodly mentality. Then a lecturer sat me down and through that conversation, 
I heard God whispering to me. He sat me down because he knew that I wasn't doing well. My countenance was off and he had noticed an observable shift in my studying posture. And so he gave it to me. He's a good friend. He gave it to me. He said, Joey, something's not quite right. And so in my reflection after that coffee session, oh, I repented before God. And I surrendered to God my struggles in seminary education. I surrendered to God my struggles in my personal shortcomings. I knew that the Lord revealed to me again that my purpose in SBC was slowly becoming clearer. To know Him more intimately, that's my purpose. To understand myself more intricately, that's my purpose. And to be equipped for full-time ministry more intentionally, that's my purpose in SBC. By God's grace, I was reminded of that. Gracious, glorifying God in our pursuits has very little to do with grades or performance. But it has everything to do with His grace and the purpose He puts in us. God renewed my convictions. By God's grace, I stayed the course and graduated after five and a half years of part-time studies despite in the rest of the time discovering more shortcomings and more of my own inadequacies. In that whole journey in SBC, I suddenly became certain of God's plan for me. Now, of course, staying the course was far more drastic for Peter. Incredibly, he actually fulfilled what he said he would do for Jesus. He really went to prison. He really did. And he eventually died for Jesus like how John described that he would die. It is widely accepted by church traditions that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way as his master, friend and saviour. So Gracious, guess what? Jesus never had a false confession. Jesus always lived out kingdom convictions under pressure. And Jesus always stayed the cause despite the shortcomings of others. That's Jesus to Peter. That's Jesus to you. That's Jesus to me. That is why believing in Jesus is the best truth you will ever believe in. That is why surrendering to Jesus is the best thing you will ever do. And that is why trusting in Jesus is the best life you will ever live. These aren't superlative false confessions. But these are timeless ways to pledge your believing loyalty to Jesus. So let's stay humble when we falter. Let's surrender ourselves to Jesus daily and let's stay the course despite our shortcomings. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. Have a blessed day ahead and may God be with you.